Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. So glad you could be with me as I, well, I share what you've shared this time around. It's all about you and your responses on some of the questions I've posted on the Facebook pages over the last few weeks. Looking forward to sharing those with everybody because we have opinions, advice, dreams, hopes, experience, tips, you name it, on all sorts of subjects. So if you've commented in the last month or so on one of the Facebook pages, well, there's a good chance you're going to hear your own name on this version of the Upland Nation podcast. Yeah, you have a lot to say. In fact, uh, I've joked for years that you put any two bird hunters in a room and you'll probably come out with at least three opinions, and it's true. So uh, we'll get to that real quick, uh, whether it's um, sharing spots or um, ethical conundrums on, uh, well, you name it, anything from people who you've hunted with and never will again to how to spoil your dog. Yeah, we'll get a long list of suggestions on that. We'll also have the Upland Nation Glossary. We're up to the letter R. And industry insider Rahan Nana will join us from Garmin. He'll offer up some advice on what's new over there and also a few tricks that, ah, I slapped my forehead when I learned about stuff like this, and I'm sure I will again. So uh, prepare for that. And, of course, we're going to start out the podcast with a public access suggestion. This time we're going to Nebraska. It's all made possible by Roughland Performance Kennels, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, and the Ringneck Nation of Huron, South Dakota. Well, up until recently, Sydney, Nebraska had a lot more going for it. It's no longer the mothership for Cabela's, but it is a pretty good place to stop along the interstate and spend a half a day or a day or so exploring all the public access in that general area. Not very well known. There's other parts of Nebraska that have gotten a lot better press, but you know, when I'm out there and visiting, uh, well, I was, now I'm not going there for Cabela's anymore. But anyway, when I'm out there, there are some spots oh, within five or 10 miles of uh, that interstate exit in Sydney, Nebraska, that uh, have some uh, public access program uh, places to go, including the places that are basically south of the interstate and south of that particular exit in the Cabela's uh, big store and corporate former corporate headquarters. You probably ought to start with the uh, Hunter's Atlas. You can get that by going to outdoornebraska.gov and then slash where to hunt. The last time I was out in that spot uh, heading for the Colorado state line, I counted more coyotes than anything else. It was a good year, but you know, in a way, I think that bodes well for the birds as well. Uh, You know, the the prey animals and the predator species uh, kind of go in lockstep when it comes to that. There's another spot uh, out toward Chapel that's worth a look. Watch for the green trucks. They are moving real fast when you're driving around out there. And then 
Of course, uh, the local sheriffs uh, don't think you should be allowed to go as fast as the grain trucks. Let's just leave it at that. If you're headquartered in Sydney, has all the amenities, plus the big Cabela store is still open. They got a little RV park and downtown is the best pizza in the Midwest. It's all at Sydney, Nebraska, one of those unsung public access spots that I know very well and love quite a bit. And here is your last chance at sageandbreaker.com to take advantage of significant savings during the Father's Day sale. Big bucks on uh, items, well, uh, items, a lot of items in their gun cleaning combo. Lots of ways to save over there at sageandbreaker.com. Combo is a perfect opportunity. Save 57 bucks on this assemblage of not only all the tools and chemicals you'll need to keep your shotgun in running order, but also the nice roll-up. I, I guess I'll call it a, um, a cleaning bed, for lack of a better term. It is an heirloom product. It's got pockets. It's got uh, incredible hardware. Beautiful work of art, heirloom quality gear at Sage and Breaker. Dot com and up until Father's Day on sale. And we're also brought to you in part by LegacySports.com slash pointer. That's where you learn all about the guns I've been using lately if you're watching any of the videos. They're a work of art at a price that's a thing of beauty, and I might agree. In fact, I certainly do. I hardly endorse them. They're a great value. The fit and finish is excellent. Several options in shotguns from game-specific hunting applications to sport and competition. Everything up and down the price range, including some very great entry-level guns for some of the newer hunters that you have in mind. It's all at LegacySports.com slash pointer. Yeah, so um, I am making a study of it. Uh, kind of stepped in it a while ago when I expressed my own personal opinions about sharing some of my hunting spots, but I got my reasons for that. But we're not here to talk about my reasons today. We're here to talk about your reasons. And I got to tell you, I'm pleasantly surprised when I asked this question. Most of us will share some of our spots some of the time with some people. Where do you draw the line? And and that's that's probably the first thing I learned about all of this is, uh, yeah, you just don't willy-nilly distribute information that could have uh, a deleterious effect on, first off, your own hunting, second off, the habitat, the resource, the game out there. I understand all of that. I've always lived that way. I guess I've just not made it as clear as I could. But you folks have really, really drilled down on this one. So let me just share, as our first part of this Upland Nation podcast, some of the things that you said when I, when you answered that question. Chris Ingram says, you have to work your way into the circle of trust. I love that. That is so sensible and so easy to remember. Steve Robbins uh, takes that a step further. He says, if I wouldn't invite him over for dinner, 
I wouldn't share a hunting spot. Travis Hampton goes a little bit deeper into this one, and it's worth sharing. So, Travis, thanks for spending so much time developing and explaining this to us. He says it's a complex algorithm that factors in multiple considerations, level of friendship, level of dedication to bird hunting, i.e. introducing someone versus an active bird hunter, the risk of the other person hunting the spot without me, for example, are they local and they could get there easily, or are they from several states away? The size of the spot, the number of birds it can hold, and the relative knowledge of the area held in the hunting world. For example, everyone knows South Dakota has pheasants. <laughs> Travis, now you're now you're you're my kind of guy. He says other things to consider: the phase of the moon, recent activity on the doomsday clock, tire pressure in the left front tire of my lawnmower, the amount of beer the receiving person tends to bring, divided by their ability to drink said beer, multiplied by the square root of blue. <laughs> Man, you got a future in writing. Too bad there's no money in it. <laughs> Jay Lawner says uh, when when he's considering inviting somebody along, he says, I hunt, I hunt mostly public grounds, very few private spots. I can't share those. I understand that. Maybe that was the agreement you made originally, and I get it. I get it. Steve Selvig says, you'd better be a really good friend that I can trust to keep your mouth shut about anywhere I take you. And then he reminds us. It's a two-way street. <clears throat> Ken Matye says, yeah, it is. Quid pro quo. Take me to one of your spots. I will take you to one of mine. You first, by the way. <laughs> Great thoughts. Excellent philosophy behind them. Yeah, I am constantly evolving my philosophy on that one, but it is something certainly worth taking a you know taking a, a little bit of time to uh give some thought to uh and maybe you have sure sounds like it oh this is the upland nation podcast i'm scott linden uh sharing your thoughts from our social media pages of all sorts on some of the bigger questions we need to deal with and i'm glad we're dealing with them now because as the season approaches we'll have lots of other things to worry about so number two on my list of the hit parade uh, top 100 questions no we're not going to do them all but we're going to do several more this one it, it just kind of jumped out at me because I, I might have run into something recently that brought up the topic and and maybe you think about it and you know some of the everything again being relative there are exceptions to every rule but the question I asked was, uh, in most states, ground sluicing or shooting a grouse off a limb are quite legal. Would you? Wow. <laughs> Lots of suggestions, advice, and tips on this one. So, you know, if you're new to the business or if you're an old-timer and uh, agonize over this sort of thing... Uh, it worth worth paying attention to now chris ingram hey thanks again chris uh he's he's ground swatted a few birds as a dogless hunter especially and i get that you know it the, the things change every day in every way if you can stalk up to a roughie before a flush it's got to be worth something 
even if you didn't have a dog. So true. Sabrina Serna says, if it was to reward a dog for a job well done, heck yes. If it's just because I see it, probably not. I don't get any joy from shooting sitting birds. I'm totally willing to do it, though, in order to reward the dog. Greg Scott Long has some hard and fast rules, not ethical, albeit legal in my state. No fun either. I get that. You know, why are we here? Most of us are hunting because we love watching our dogs work, and uh, I know that's the case. Uh, you know, I, I was tempted a few times, especially early on in my hunting career, when I didn't know what, what I was doing, my dog didn't know what he was doing, and, uh, man, it was a long time. In fact, it was on grouse. You know, the one time I thought I had a clear shot at a grouse, it was because he was sitting in a tree with no leaves on it. Boy, how tempting can it be. Michael Gugino says he potted a few birds on the ground in his early days, but never with a dog. And in my advanced years, he says, I realize that ground pounding is something I don't want to do anymore. Now, if I needed food, I would, but I don't. And, you know, he brings up a real interesting point there. If we do have a dog on the ground, it's just like any other game bird. Whatever kind you're chasing, the risk of a dog and a shot string connecting is just way too great. <laughs> Jay Lonner says even at a game farm, he lets the hens uh, get out of there. He'll never, never ground loose a bird. Uh, East Coast Uplander says he's done it uh, even when hunting with my dog, knowing he was nowhere in danger and would never do it with someone else's dog. Well, there's a there's a new compromise, a twist on the whole idea. Uh, Marty Davis has uh, food for thought in, in a great way. Birds have three flight positions, pre-flight, flight, and post-flight. I shoot them in just one of those positions. Okay, do the math, literally. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, um, Richard DeFalco says he doesn't have a dog, but he does have a flintlock. That's what he hunts with. So he'll do it at any opportunity. And I get that. Man, that is going back to basics in so many ways. And that's how the pioneers did it. Everybody along the way, you know, I did a story on uh, sharp-tailed grouse a couple years ago for Pointing Dog Journal and, and realized that if it hadn't been for sharp-tails, uh, most of the folks traveling the Oregon Trail probably would have starved to death. And they weren't going to wait to be sporting about anything. And sporting, of course, being a relative term, you know, I get it. Creating some food for thought here and seems to be um, generating a lot of, uh, you know, other ideas out there that could uh, possibly steer you in one direction or another. So let's carry on here at the Upland Nation podcast. Again, we're talking about ground sluicing or limb shooting a, a bird or wherever it is. Michael Michael Scott takes them where he can find them. He doesn't have a dog and doesn't know anybody that has a dog. Hey, there's somebody that somebody ought to invite hunting with a dog, you know, get involved in our Fur Feathers Friends initiative this year. Um, Zach Babcock says, uh, with a dog, no. If I'm going solo, 100%, yes. Uh, if you're able to get within effective range uh, or fool the game into effective range. How is it any different than shooting a deer or a turkey? Definitely a good thought. Yeah. 
Miles Burdett came came to us with a term that I've never used before. You've heard rel- you've heard similar terms, but I like this one the best. Miles, thanks. He says I have dogs and I still skillet shoot if everything is good. I like that. Thanks a lot, Miles. I'm going to have to steal that and put it in a story someday. Wade La Riviere, good to hear from you again. Sorry we haven't been able to meet up since our last Fur Feathers Friends event. He says he never shoots any birds on the ground or any bird not flushed. Uh, Population uh, of birds is difficult enough to maintain without affecting it through unethical hunting practices. I guess ethics are one of those, well, they have entire college degree programs and that stuff. We'll never, never get there. Travis Hampton says, yeah, using a bow or a 22. Yeah, I remember those days when I was first getting started. We used to joke about it. I was living in big game country, and um, most of the rough grouse in, in that world uh, got shot by deer hunters, elk hunters, with, uh, with a 22, or out of revenge by a bow hunter who'd gotten sick and tired of every roughie coming up between his legs as he's putting the sneak on a big animal. I don't blame you one bit, whether it's you, Travis, or anybody else. Chet Michael, I feel your pain. He says, can I change the subject to valley quail? They run like crazy and don't hold. Crazy, smart, and very fast. We always say, just shoot the first one on the ground. The rest will come up. Yeah, that's the strategy for some chucker hunters as well. Others will suggest that you shoot into the the running bunch on the ground of chuckers and um, the rest of them will hold for the dog just for the record if there's a dog on the ground no birds on the ground get shot on my hunts never have never will all right well we could go on and on and on on that topic and it is fascinating to think about let alone discuss here on the upland nation podcast Uh, thank you all that was probably one of the bigger strings of uh responses to the question don sure will end with yours you're you're okay in my book he says i'd never shoot a bird on the ground with a gun but a slingshot whole new game speaking of that you know, you, you know, you you take it where you can find it. I was I was up doing literally doing some field research a couple days ago up in elk country, and uh, we had uh, put together a a round pen to hold some Texas horses that were coming in the next day, and I was going around checking all of the uh, the, um, the the joins between the panels. You know, the panels are like eight or ten feet long, and then you have to join them together with a little kind of a hooky thing. And as I get to the last panel, I look on the ground, and son of a gun, if there isn't a kid's slingshot laying right there. Brought it back to the rest of the guys, and and one of them said, hey, that looks like my son's. He was out here the day before with me. We were scouting this place. He must have fallen out of his pocket. So we had some fun returning it to him the next day over barbecue and it's fun to see kids carrying slingshots around. I'm glad we were able to get it back to the to the rightful owner. Oh my. Whatever floats our boats, right? Birds, dogs, beautiful places, and every once in a while, a slingshot. 
You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. You are all the great answers, suggestions, and ideas that we're talking about today. we got a lot more to come. We'll also hit the Upland Nation glossary with the letter R. And an industry insider from Garmin will offer up uh, some kind of kind of less common uh, information that you might want to apply to your use of one of their products or products like theirs. And also we'll find out what's new in that world. So stick around for all of that. Right now, let me invite you to learn more about Fur Feathers Friends at the website. Just say furfeathersfriends.com. Yeah, that's uh, my um, effort to get you to take somebody else hunting and the vehicle for the joy that we all have sharing our hunting is the dogs. That's why fur is the first word in the title. Share your dog's skills, talents, and passion with somebody who you really need to get back with. Old friend, family member, or maybe a newcomer, doesn't matter. If you go to furfeathersfriends.com, you'll find out why it's so important. You never know how long they're going to be with you. Let's just remember, life is short. The moments we have together are invaluable. So, take somebody hunting. Sign up at furfeathersfriends.com. You never know. You might just win yourself a prize. It's the least I can do. See you there. And as always, Rough Land Kennels is where you learn all about their massive, growing number of accessories along with the best roto-molded dog crates designed and created by dog owners. These folks pioneered the technology. They are upgrading their technology at every opportunity, so you're always getting state-of-the-art construction at roughlandkennels.com. That's rough, R-U-F-F, roughlandkennels.com. Welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your moderator for today as I share with you your own and your friends and uh, soon-to-be friends uh, suggestions, tips, advice, and thoughts, philosophies, and beliefs, opinions, and uh, pet peeves all posted for the public to ponder at one of our websites or our Facebook pages. From Instagram, Wing Shooting USA, to the Wing Shooting USA Facebook page, to the Upland Nation Facebook page. I asked this question a while back and for lots of reasons, uh, my own edification plus maybe your own, and was, uh, was pleasantly surprised at many of the responses. Hey, if you could change one thing about your best hunting buddy, what would it be? Now, I know most of you uh, answered that in theoretical terms because your hunting buddy is the best. That's why they are your hunting buddy. But your suggestions for others who weren't so lucky are always 
valuable. Sabrina Serna says, I would like them to become independently wealthy so we could quit our jobs and travel with them paying for everything. <laughs> Lance Larson, well, that's a gray dog for you. Lance Larson says, hey, man, why do you stop and lift your leg on the way back on a retrieve? Can't you hold it? Joe, and sometimes no, but I'd, I'd be grateful if that's all he did. Richard Elliott says, it would be easier on my heart if my hunting buddy outlived. Okay, now we're going too far. Richard, I will share it because it's so good. It would be easier on my heart if my hunting buddy outlived me. Thank you. John Billadeau says, I've had some truly exceptional dogs and some just average, but would not have changed a thing with any of them. Their flaws or lack of flaws made them who they were. Harry Geyer hopes someday maybe his best hunting buddy would live closer to him so they could spend time together. Bill Evans, good to hear from you. Someday we'll get back together in person. He says, all hunting buddies are different. Accept them for who and what they are. Learn to work and play together. After all, they accept us unquestionably for all of our flaws. Good way to put it. Never thought about the two-way street on this question, but absolutely true. Thank you, Bill. Jeff Johnson wouldn't change anything. John Salfisberg uh, would, would like to his hunting buddy to explain how he could walk up on a steady dog of John's and still miss the bird. Now, Jay Lawners, I'll just say you're a hero. John Wasserman wishes he could turn back the clock, but other than that, a little gray in the muzzle there, I guess, other than that, he's been the best of the best. Brett Bowser wishes his hunting buddy, I'm hoping it's a dog, he hopes, he wishes he would get along better with his wife. Miles Burdett would only change one thing about his dog, their lifespan. Absolutely right. Well, those are great. Love them. Brought a tear to my eye. Maybe some years as well fascinating observations we live and we learn don't we yeah and we're moving on here at the upland nation podcast i'm scott linden i ask the questions and in this case you give the answers i've always wondered about this sort of stuff and we can always pick up something here i do what are some bird hunting courtesies that aren't as common as they should be yeah, you might say that about life in general, general, but let's let's keep it focused on bird hunting. Sabrina Serna says being able to approach someone you see in the field and ask where they're hunting, okay, I'll go the other way. That works out pretty good. And if you are able to get them, yeah, I'll never forget. I was I was hunting a a, a fairly public spot, easy to get to, and that's why I was there. And as I look across, you know, the 80-acre field or thereabouts, well, more like a sagebrush flat, there's some guy in the other far corner. And I think we're being cool to each other. 
because he keeps kind of veering off left and I keep veering off right. But at some point we just keep moving towards each other. You know, it's just inevitable. You know, the, the, the only birds were probably there and we're following our dogs. And you you know, you, you got to decide when it's right to uh, confront, if you will. And I mean that in a, in a neutral sense. I don't mean aggressively, but at some point I'm squinting at him and he's squinting at me and I, I see the dog and it looks a little familiar and he sees my dog and it looks to me like he thinks it looks a little familiar. So I finally say, to heck with that. Open the gun, walk up. Son of a gun. It's a friend from my dog club. <laughs> we were trying to be cool, but it didn't work. And we hunted the rest of the day together and uh, yeah, it worked out great, but you never know what's going to happen in those cases. I understand the caution sometimes. I understand the frustration sometimes if you've worked so hard at that. But, you know, the more often you take the high road, which is very much free of traffic, by the way. It's a great Chris Ledoux song, too. Uh, anyway, the times when you do choose the uh, honorable way to approach a situation like that, uh, you're probably going to turn out better. Ron Abir says, if someone's in the field, just move on to another. If you can find them, you know, there are places, you know, you're hunting grouse of one sort or another, and very few times you're going to be able to know. But you will see a truck. If the truck's parked there, maybe it's time to move on. Janet Burroughs says, hey, please, people, don't use hunt training areas as dog parks. I know, you know, what, you, Janet, I get it. Most of us are dog guys, and we're there for dog training, but I understand completely. Yeah, it happens. I've been there. David Gilberton uh, touches on one of the less common but should be common courtesies don't give my flushing dog commands she does not respond she's not been conditioned to you telling her to hunt them up because they used that command before or come here when she is ready to flush and they are too lazy to move for the shot okay got it out of control dogs are denise heath's pet peeve and uh, wishes people would train their dog better or put it back up she finally mentioned, she said, last year I finally managed to ditch someone else's dog only to find it with me again as I approached my car. Oh, this is somebody you don't even know, isn't it, Denise? Just showed up. Boy, I've heard those stories. I've never had it happen to me. Then it shot out on the gravel road and disappeared, worried about the dog, tracking it down to a neighboring farm. It was chasing all the chickens. Oh, man. Woo, what a mess. At least it wasn't your dog. All right, Rick Johnson, like many of us, is hoping more people will learn the, the lesson I'm constantly working on. Shut the heck up. If you have to hack your dog all day long, as Rick says, then uh, it's probably not a very well-trained dog, and you are annoying the heck out of everybody else. Okay, Lee Tripp has a final bit of advice. Others in the field say hi and work together if they encounter each other. We came to our field that we hunt a lot. A group was pushing towards the road. So we offered, and they accepted, that we stay at the edge of the field and act as blockers. I think the key there is offer. Way back near Pendleton, Oregon, we were, we were running a field. 
and the the far corner ended up uh, being you know right on a public road and it was it was like a little amphitheater so if you're driving down the public road you can see everybody who's working that field we're working towards the road this guy slams on the brakes gets out pulls the gun out stands at the corner so that every bird we bust flies right over him had another similar thing happened making a tv show in uh, south dakota a few years back somebody had wing clipped a pheasant <laughs> it fell down and and died in a in a roadside ditch just as some guy in a little car was driving past he saw us two tv cameras three guys in the field plus all of that several dogs he put two and two together slammed on the brakes like i said got out grabbed that rooster and drove like he'd stolen that car where do these people come from maybe that's a good question down the road he went with somebody else's bird yeah you can't make this stuff up can you <laughs> we could go on and on i'm going to hit on a couple more subjects just the high points i promise before we get to rehan nana of garmin and some of the things that are happening there uh the question uh i asked was name names mine is grouse on the scottish moors what's your never going to get there but wouldn't it be great if i could destination lance larson thinks it might be doable hunting woodcock in the north lance just go i know you're willing to drive i know it's a long way for you and thanks for coming to kansas for the fur feathers friends event uh but it, life is short go find some woodcock in the northeast u.s glenn ainsworth maybe you guys can carpool rich mccracken wants uh wants to head for scotland as well deep on my bucket list health time and of course money you only live once everybody i know i'm i'm getting maudlin there and i apologize janice jersa has an interesting one i've never thought about hunting peafowl in new zealand or idaho and or alaska for ptarmigan oh yeah you must have better knees than many of us i hope you pull it off james inbody woodcock in ireland now there's a there there is a specialized trip as is stefan regenfuss's capricali in scandinavia i had a chance at that once it was a long story and i won't bore you with all of it we were there to pioneer a new steelhead stream way back before people were doing that sort of thing and, and I'm, I'm glad i turned it down because they were number one caught in a helicopter crash number two stranded in some podunk siberian town for a week after that but when they were bored stiff of catching so many steelhead the guys who did go were chasing capricali out there and had a good time such as it was andrea deeker wants to hunt hungarian partridge in hungary or the czech republic i don't blamer tim ryan our Han in the alps that's a new one on me i'm gonna have to look that one up robert murphy has the lungs and the legs to go to ptarmigan above ten thousand feet a lot of folks are uh saying yeah that sounds like a pretty good idea now shane doman i this one 
maybe it's a little bit of a joke. I don't see a little smile there, but I think there's an emoji for, what would I call it, irony? Shane wants to hunt rough grouse in Ohio. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, I, I'm not going to get to the rest of, uh, of, of all of those, but they are hilarious, and, uh, and actually so are some of these. Uh, I said, and we all know who we're talking about, uh, my good friend Des Young, Hunting with Hank, the TV show, he always cautions against spoiling your dog. Uh, and yes, we all, quote, try, unquote, not to, but we do. And in my case, if he hunts hard, my dog, Flick, he gets to sleep on his own bed in the hotel or at least at the foot of my bed in the travel trailer. Um, Lance Larson says, if he can't go with me, we don't go. I actually stayed in a hotel for the first time, I, I, I haven't seen this in a long time. I stayed in a hotel the last couple nights um, that prohibited animals. You know, I've always been willing to pay a little bit more as if they need to clean up, but to just outright prohibit them, I've never, I haven't seen that in years. Uh, anyway, Lance, he won't go there. And uh, I agree. Uh, uh, by the way, some of the great photos, two Weimaraners on one bed, that's spectacular so is uh it looks like a setter and a, and a labrador and they each got their own bed travis trowers definitely travis powers definitely not spoiled there connor johnson says after every opening day hunt with every dog he's ever hunted with they get their own steak dinner celia roush oh that dog that could be my dog in your picture he is a beautiful wire hair that that shiny uh the top of his head is so shiny and he's got he's got the lighter hair for a beard and mustache just like flick does flick has a little bit more fringe on his ears but that is one pretty wire hair celia roush's house has been taken over by wire hairs and as i agree you too will be assimilated brian adams being being a little bit ironic nope never on the bed that looks like my travel trailer bed, your dog. I know that feeling and I know that place. Tyler Lee says his North Dakota dogs each get one end of the couch. They're curled up. They like furry canine bookends. That looks like a kind of couch I'd find in North Dakota. There's five or so pillows up there with what look to be embroidered dogs and bird hunting scenes on them. And George Gomez noticed the spoiled dog in the background. There's a, in the foreground, it's a hotel bed. You can bet on it. <laughs> There's a brown short hair uh, sprawled out on the on the uh, on the uh, quilt, the 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 cover, the duvet. But in the background, at the far end, at the pillow end, there's a short hair head on the pillow, and everything else is under that duvet. <laughs> oh, you folks, we're all alike in so many ways, and that's what it's all about. You know, I, I, I could go on and on. I will promise to share more of these as we get along, but I do want to talk about the Upland Glossary, letter R, and our friend Rehan Nana from Garmin will give us some great tips. So keep your comments coming. They are certainly useful and educational, even if it's just how to spoil your dog. Thanks so much for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast.
We are brought to you in part by the Huron, South Dakota Ringneck Nation. Hunt HuronSD.com. You go there and there are links and resources of all sorts, including a free hunting information package. They'll send you all this stuff in a big fat envelope where all the public access is, discounts, coupons, promotions of various sorts. Uh, they got everything you need in Huron, South Dakota. In fact, I'll see you there October 27th through 31st celebrating the in-person version of our Fur Feathers Friends event. Looking forward to seeing you, Rodney and Stephen and a whole bunch of others, I hope. Keep me posted on that. Huron, South Dakota, Ringneck Nation, HuntHuronSD.com. Find out about their 124,000 acres of public access. And the midvalleyclays.com folks are recovering. I'm sure very soon they'll be over and done with their big Oregon State shoot and ready for you. In fact, have I talked about it? Yeah, I did mention last week their After Hours Wednesday. So if you're in western Oregon or passing through, number one, you can park your RV and shoot to your heart's content on all the clay target games they have there. And also after hours wednesday just call ahead they'll leave the lights on and you can shoot until you run out of ammo they will never run out of targets believe me it's all at midvalleyclays.com if you're going up i-5 visiting the west coast take a look they're out near near salem oregon well worth a quick turn you can in fact you can see it from i-5 great facility one of my faves mid valley clays.com we're up to the letter r in the upland nation glossary kind of skinny not a whole bunch of entries in that one so again if you have a suggestion for r or any other letter constantly updating that thing here we are roading now there's a lot of ways to do roading and there's a lot of definitions of it i've talked about flick situation where a dog hits a point and then kind of kind of sneaks in on the bird that's one form of roading but the one i'm talking about today is hooking a dog up to something so that they can pull against some form of rate weight or resistance some guys are using an atv now a bike and in the day the field trailers would just hook them up to a horse, ride the horse, of course, and then the dogs are pulling against it. All of those will will create um, tension and exercise uh, the dog's leg muscles in a way that pulling against no weight can never do. There's two sorts of muscles and slow twitch and fast twitch, and you got to do both, and that's one way to do it. So that's roading in the Upland Nation Glossary. Lucky enough to have uh, at least a pipeline sometimes to some of the industry insiders that I've seen over the years. You know, we pass like ships in the night at the SHOT Show and then somebody ends up there and I end up there and we talk some more. And here's one of those. At Garmin, Rehan Nana is joining us from their media relations department. Rehan, it's good to talk with you in this role now. Thanks for being part of the Upland Nation podcast. 
Absolutely, and thanks for having me on. And, yep, you're absolutely right. I always love seeing your hat coming through the uh, crowd at SHOT Show or something else, and I say, i got to go talk to Scott over there. Yeah, and, so. and about one out of four times, we actually do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's the way those shows go. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Well, you're at Garmin now, and you're learning a lot, and it's a perfect place for you because you got dogs. And um, you were saying off mic, you're, you're kind of transitioning uh, a little bit over to the Labrador side. Yep, uh, transitioning is a, a nice way to put it. I actually um, I went from having a setter. She's a red setter. Um, and then last year we found out we were having our first baby, and uh, my setter's uh, pretty much retired. And I said, i got to get another dog in here quick, and I feel like I'll probably be doing sneaking out for like an hour-long duck hunt uh, as opposed to three-day bird hunt. So I got a Labrador, and I've been uh, working with her for the past, I don't know, she's about one year old right now. And it's been it's been an experience, and it's been a lot of fun. You know, what is the biggest change or what is the biggest thing that has surprised you about working with a uh, a retriever versus a, a setter? Mm, you know, the drive on the retrievers and kind of a lot of times, you know, seeing a really great, and I'm not saying she's a really great one by any means, but <laughs> not yet. going to try, yeah, not yet, but going into those trials, you know, field trials and hunt tests and seeing what those Labradors are really capable of, uh, memory recall, you know, lines, all of that different stuff. It's really eye-opening, um, you know, for me to see that and to see the the consistency of repetition coming through and just the singular drive that they have combined with intelligence is uh, is really a, a eye-opening thing for me. One, um, training my my first Labrador, um, but then also just great to see. You know, every time you see a different dog work, whether it's pointing dogs, whether it's retrievers, whether it's hounds, it's always you can find something interesting within it. No, I agree. Hey, I wrote a book on the subject, but anyway, right. um, are, you will do some upland hunting with your lab too, won't you? Yeah, we actually have been doing that already yeah. uh, last season, mm-hmm. uh, pheasant quail. Um, so she did all right on that. We, she got into ducks. So, so far I've been really pleased. Obviously we've got some things to work on, but that's the way it goes. Constant battle. Don't don't get me started. That's a topic for another podcast down the road. But uh, let's talk about Garmin and and what's new at Garmin these days. Uh, you guys are kind of the the icon in the electronic training collar world, among other things. Um, you know, in fact, let's start with that. A lot of people don't know Garmin is in all sorts of other areas as well. Why don't you just give me a you know an overview of that? Yeah, that's going to be uh, an overview is... Um, a really Garmin, short overview. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was going to say that's going to be a tough one. We were founded here in 1989 in Kansas City, um, and since then we've grown into about five different segments. You've got brain, you've got aviation, automotive, uh, fitness, wellness, and then outdoors. And I work in the outdoor department. Um, you know, every year across those segments, we're putting out hundreds of different products. Um, and Garmin's been growing really significantly. Um uh, gosh, I mean, really since the get-go. But I think when I started about four years ago, we had 12,000 employees, and I think now we're up to 19,000 employees, just to kind of give you a snapshot on that. And just out um, of curiosity, so, how many of them show up on any given day? Are you like the rest of the world? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pandemic change thing, yeah, but yeah. Uh, we've got our HQ here in Kansas City, and then we've got offices all over the world. Um, so, yeah, and like you said, a lot of times people relate to garment products, I think, through a singular product. Um, but we have so many different things available for people for all their different passions, and especially when it comes to the outdoors. And one of the things that I always tell people to kind of, or that I think is really unique about Garmin is what we call the ecosystem. And so a lot of times, you know, the products that you have 
relate and talk to so many other different products. Um, so that way, it just kind of it's a comprehensive system for the outdoors. So for example, a dog tracking product can talk to your watch so you can track that off of your watch. Mm-hmm. You can also talk to in-reach devices, uh, dog uh, drive track units for in-vehicle navigators and stuff. So yeah, the ecosystem is something I think is, is really cool and something that's growing um, within that. Well, you know, I remember the first iteration of that, or at least the first one I was made aware of, and I still covet them. So if you ever have any laying around that fell off the truck and you can just skip the paperwork on send me a pair of rhinos that was Duly a noted. that was a product that I, I i would kill for there is at least one time on every hunt when i'd like to be able to radio my buddy and say where are you oh never mind i see it you're right there that right. Was, that was brilliant and thank you well <laughs> yeah absolutely and one question are you familiar with the inreach products oh yeah i remember the good old days when they weren't yours yeah, so when it was the warm, but for uh, listeners who aren't familiar, that's a two-way SMS, so text communication and SOS device. So um, you can communicate back and forth with people uh, when you don't have cell service. And then if you do have an emergency, uh, all in-reach devices, when you have an active subscription, you can hit an SOS, and that gets sent to the Garmin International Re- Emergency Response Center, and then that goes to uh, whatever local authority would be in the area that you're at for coordinating um, that emergency, whatever that may be. So really handy handy device, and I think that that is a nice little snapshot about how Garmin is kind of changing the outdoor and hunting industry to a certain extent. And, and just FYI, everybody, you can get that on a tracking and training collar as well. Absolutely. <laughs> and Absolutely. What, what, what's that one called? Is that the Yeah, that's alpha? the Alpha... Yeah, Alpha 200i, um, and so you may recall, Scott, the Alpha, the original Alpha 100 uh, came out, geez, I want to say close to 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. Right around then, and, you know, we waited, we took quite a while, but we were just gathering up what did people like about it, what did mm-hmm. people not like about it, what did they want to see, and then we came out with the uh, Alpha 200i about a year and a half ago, and that thing has just got so much horsepower to it. Um, it's really, while well, it's got so much horsepower to it, it's really um, intuitive to use, and that's something that the engineers really worked on. And that's something I think that Garmin is really great at is, you know, while you may have a lot of technology, it's technology that's easily digestible. You can use it if you want to, and if you don't want to, you don't have to. Um, but within that unit, it incorporated the in-reach technology. So, and I think that that speaks to a larger, you know, when you look at the progression of e-collars, um, e-collars aren't just training collars anymore. They're really hunting tools, and especially when you look at the incorporation of GPS. So yeah, yeah. with that Alpha 200i, you've got dog tracking and training. You've got, you know, really robust mapping, um, bird's, eye, you know, bird's eye downloadable maps, um, so much other stuff. And then you've got the inReach, uh, so it acts as a communicator as well. Yeah, and, and, and it all fits in your pocket, by the way. You don't need a wheelbarrow to bring it along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and what what else in that world should we uh, you know without spilling the beans and having to kill me after we talk uh, what else do you have uh, that we might not know about yet or maybe should look forward to maybe in the next couple of years well i can't speak to any future products but some of the other things that people may not be aware of um we also after the alpha 200i uh, we also offered the alpha 200 so it's a a little bit uh, more price effective that does not have the inreach in it so mm-hmm. if you don't find inreach um you can have that they also uh, last year we put out the alpha 10 um and the alpha 10 
got a, you should really check it out or I can send you one. It's this mighty mouse of a little unit. Um, it's got really, really simple tracking. It's about four inches by about two and a half inches. And it gives you a delta of where your dog is on screen. Um, it's really light. So if you're looking for kind of really pared down tracking, you could do that. And it does have training in it as well. But then it's really nice because it's an expandable unit that you can pair into your cell phone. Um, so you can use your cell phone for tracking on that side of it. And then it's also really good as an auxiliary piece. So let's say you and I are hunting together um, and you have um, a Garmin tracking unit and you can hand me the Alpha 10. Um, I can pair into your unit and watch the dogs. Um, so that way if we're hunting across, you know, a draw or something, we don't have sure. to be hollering back and forth. Yeah. Um, so that's a really great little simple unit um, for people to check out. And then we actually just put out some new collars too. Um, they've got really, really robust battery life, um, things that we've added in. You can, but you can do a, a remote sleep, um, to put it to sleep. So if that way, if dog does somehow get lost, you can kind of put that collar to sleep or if it's on low and then get to the last track point and then wake it back up. Um, so it's just enhancing that battery life even further. The hunt kind of ends when you're, you know, you run out of battery life, you know. Oh, I could have used that two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but cool. And yeah, I love the idea of, a, of, of that little one in particular. You know, if you're a chucker hunter and you're going out for an all-day hunt, you sacrifice virtually everything when it comes to weight so that you can carry more water. And right. I know it's a few ounces, but every little bit. Yeah, I was the backpacker who cut it, who cut the handle off his toothbrush. So uh, that's where I am. Scrap anyone you can. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, you you bring up a really good point, though, Scott. You know, I was going to say we could be hunting the same thing, but you and I ha could have two completely different styles of hunting and how we like to hunt and how we relate to our dogs, how we engage with units and stuff like that. And I think that that's something that's really great just about industry as a whole is that there's so many great options out there um, for people to, to really drill into kind of how they like to relate to their dog, how they like to relate to the hunt, um, and really find units that are, are perfect for you. Um, you, you, you have a customer service department that, that number one has been very helpful over the years with me. And it, I remember when that first alpha came out, I was calling about once a week for a dumb question, but there are but some of those dumb questions are quite common. I'm sure correct a few of those for us, for example, and I'll be first. I didn't realize number one, that you really should calibrate the compass, the internal compass periodically. And maybe other yeah. people don't know that either. Yeah, calibrating compass, um, that's one that, that I always try to let people know about just because as soon as you can calibrate that, a lot of times people call in and say, well, my, my GPS is just going haywire, what's yeah. going on? Yeah. And it's a simple, a lot of times it's just a simple uh, calibration of the compass because you're changing so far in spaces um, that it gets almost immediately back on track. Uh, one of the things that I could say, you know, almost – well, here's what I'll say. One of the first things that if you call in to customer support, um, they're going to ask is, have you updated your units recently? Um, and that is something Garmin has always and will always put out free software updates. And what that does is that a lot of times we'll put in new software or new features into the units, but it will also uh, upgrade existing features. And if there's any bugs or anything like that that we found, fix those. And that's why it's always free um, to do. And we recommend 
updating about every six months um, just because there's always new things coming out. And then the other thing I say is, you know, there's there's a few different points of communication going in there between the handheld to the collar to satellites and stuff like that. So it's just making sure everybody's talking the same language. Well, yeah, just for fun, uh, I like to think I I remember when GP, handheld GPS first came out, I, I got drafted to do a whole bunch of seminars on this new gizmo. And, and back then, nobody knew what it was and how it worked. But, but explain what signals go where between a dog, a human, and a satellite up in the sky. Just, just show us how that works. Yeah, so the GPS is going to be coming down in, uh, to the top of the collar. There's two, going to be two different antennas that are on the collar. There's a GPS, um, and then there's just the other one. And so that's always kind of what we say. Another tip is going to be when you have a, a Garmin tracking collar, um, always make sure that the antenna, it's that square little box um, that runs kind of up to the top of the collar, is um, directly on top of the dog's neck because that way you're going to get the best GPS signal reception. And then from there, it translates and goes to the handheld unit, and then you're going to be able to see uh, it from there. And the other antenna helps with when you're doing, you know, tone, vibration, stimulation. That's how that okay. works. So the, the one that actually looks like an antenna is the one that receives signals from the handheld. Yeah, so that's the way that one's going. Um, okay. it's the GPS antenna is the one the little square box on yeah. top of it. Well, I'm you, so. you just enlightened me. I, I I knew that, but I'd forgotten it, I guess. But that's good to know. Well, it needs to be just like on your car, for example. Yeah, and it's uh, we kind of say the same thing with InReach. It's just getting that best uh, GPS communication that you can possibly have, and having that up as high up as you can. Uh, that's going to give you the best reception there. I um, experienced not two days ago the result of not putting that antenna in the right place. So you do sometimes you have to adjust the collar and the size and all of that uh, because well, I'm convinced that the GPS antenna rolled down and was at the bottom on, yeah, on and, him. In GPS, there's limitations with uh, that technology as with any technology. And I got a call um, just a little while ago. That somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, somebody was out running their dogs and um, the GPS signal dropped and it was just a question mark and they were kind of uh, really scared about that. And yeah. essentially, one of the things to know about that is that, you know, if there is an interruption within GPS, like let's say a, a dog crawls into a, a hole or something, you know, something like that, and there's sure. an inter interruption, it'll break. But the 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 collar and the handheld are all still trying to find one another. So if you do get a question mark, my suggestion is always move into that area mm -hmm. and then just wait because a lot of times that that signal is just it, it's still trying to find that signal. Um, so so don't remove a collar or don't remove a track code or anything like that and then try to add it back in um, because that can break it. Just kind of move to that point and. Um, and wait for that and see if that will kick back in. Yeah, and, and part and parcel to that, uh, line of sight is, is critical as well quite often, isn't it? Yeah, the, if you're in varying terrain, can can make a difference on that stuff. Um, so if you can get to, like, you know, if you are in that situation, if you can get to a higher ground, um, yeah. that is helpful because then that will have better reception on both sides. Even as simple as, and I did this, my, my bad shoulder I used on that one, I wish I hadn't, but that is, I, I just stuck the whole handheld unit up in the air, and that gave hmm. me yeah. an, an extra two feet, and that's all it took in this rolling terrain, and I got the signal back, for example. 
So yeah. uh, all those things help, and uh, and they are all worth you know looking at before you ca- frantically call customer service or start freaking out about a lost dog. Well, I'll tell you, those customer service guys, they do, uh, they get a lot of training. And before I was a government employee, I called them and I always thought they were great too. So um, give them a holler. Don't ever hesitate to give them a holler if you have any questions. Okay. So I'm taking away from this uh, Calibrate, update your software. And then if you ever need any help, they're there to help you. That's Rayhan Nana with Garmin. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. Anything you want to leave us with? Um, no, I would just say um, check out all the, all the units. Uh, you can find them on Garmin.com and all the information. And uh, thank you very much for having me on, Scott. It's always a pleasure. It's good to get caught up with you again. Next time we're both in Las Vegas, uh, we'll have more than a brief passing conversation. Thanks again for being on the podcast. Have a great day. Hey, what you doing August 27th and 28th? I'm heading for the Ronnie Smith Seminar, foundation level, being held at Highland Hills Ranch in Northeast Oregon. Did I say you could bring your kid for free? Yeah, register online and get more information at RonnieSmithKennels.com. Hope to see you there. And although I would love to keep going on and on, I feel like I'm doing what my wife does way too much of, and that's playing on Facebook and Instagram, but it was well worth it. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thanks to everybody who's put a comment at any of our social platforms. Thanks to Rehan Nana of Garmin. Thanks to you who leave ratings and reviews. Please take a moment and do that the next time you're on your podcast platform. We are made possible thanks to the generous contributions of Roughland Performance Kennels, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays, Ringneck Nation of Huron, South Dakota, and please check out for feathersfriends.com. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in the field.